This episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by College Ready Writing Essentials, an online classroom resource designed specifically to create a bridge between high school and college writing. College Ready Writing Essentials helps teachers equip their students with the composition experience research says students need most for college writing success. You can find College Ready Writing Essentials at edcuration.com and inquire about a pilot opportunity. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. I've had at least 15 students who have increased more than four grade levels. He used theater as a tool to make great human beings. My expectations are high for all of them. One of the things that I really love about teaching is the fact that every day is sort of unique and different and strange. Current research findings show that only 27% of high school seniors are prepared for the quantity and kinds of writing they will be asked to produce in college. And if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm no math whiz, but even I can tell you that that means that 73% of high school seniors are not prepared for the quantity and kinds of writing they will be asked to produce in college. And because they are unprepared, over half of them have to take remedial coursework that doesn't count toward their degree. And the price tag to American families for this remedial instruction is $1.5 billion annually. So we wanted to talk to teachers on both sides of this gap to understand how we might do better. We reached out to Joel Garza, a high school English teacher at Green Hill School in Dallas, Texas, where he has taught for 15 years. And he gave us a snapshot into how writing instruction has evolved in his classroom over that time. Called roll for the first time, Monday, August 23rd, 1993, at El Centro Community College in downtown Dallas. At the time, it was a course that was really comfortable for me. It was a Norton anthology of Greeks and Romans and Shakespeare. Writing in that course was strictly argument-driven. It was really uh, easy to evaluate. Ever since then, I've gotten better at supplementing that kind of writing, that kind of reading. I've been at Green Hill School for 15 years, where I'm currently the upper school English chair. I've been teaching race and society through Global Online Academy for three years. And more and more in those classroom spaces, online and in person, I'm moving away from that strict argument-driven writing, moving more and more to personal writing, more and more to multimodal writing, more and more to shared dialogue as a demonstration of a student's mastery of the material. So I'm really excited to talk about how I've supplemented that Aristotelian rhetoric that I grew up with, that I was given A's for, that I was given jobs for, 
and uh, how now my students are understanding themselves as unique writers more and more than at any other point in my career. So it sounds like you've moved more toward using writing as a tool for thinking and away from some of the more formulaic methods that we were taught and taught to teach in in my generation, at least. Don't get me wrong. That kind of writing was out there. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of instructors were out there. I just didn't encounter them until much later, or I understood personal writing. I understood really authentic voice driven writing as belonging in a different venue. Music criticism, for example. I read a lot of music criticism and I loved the way that those writers wrote with pure voice. And it's, it's on me as a teacher. It took me a long time to bring those models into the classroom. It wasn't until I discovered quite late Montaigne's essays. And I recognized that an essay, rather than being a demonstration of drafting and outlining and embedding quotations, that an essay could be a record of a mind in motion, including digressions, including self-interruptions, including false starts and dead ends. So, yeah, I've... I definitely am late to it. And that kind of writing was out there. And I wish I'd had teachers that directed me to it. I wish I had been a little braver in bringing in certain voices that that I love to read, bringing those voices to my students. As Hoel referred to Montaigne's essays, I recall an earlier conversation where Hoel reminded me that the word essay comes from the French verb essayer, to try. An essay is a try, or an attempt. And this awareness tilts instruction away from form toward content. So in terms of college readiness, is this the direction we want to be tilting? To get a view from the higher ed side of the gap, we reached out to Shelley Rodrigo, the senior director of the writing program at the University of Arizona. She's been teaching writing for over 20 years and actually specializes in online instruction. She was also recently elected as the vice president of the National Council of Teachers of English, NCTE. Ideally, if students come to us with the, the idea that there are lots of different types of writing and you know, they'll be more experienced in some and less experienced in another. And what is good writing in one place might not count as good writing elsewhere. And that's all okay, because we have different genres and modalities and media. Um, and if they come with that in mind, then college readiness is about having some experiences with writing instead of try to help them achieve some, let's be honest, mythic standard English help them interrogate a writing situation. What what is the difference between writing that music review and then writing uh, an essay that is testing knowledge or writing, I mean, I'll be honest, I think in the past 15 years, just text messaging alone has, has made students more aware and nuanced that the rhetorical situation matters. What's the purpose? Who's the audience? Shifts. I feel like what's exciting is that there's more and more 
um, high school teachers who recognize it's about the breadth of writing experience that matters. The gap that, of course, happens because they, they've only experienced so much writing with so many teachers and so much in their life and they're coming to college and they're going to have other experiences. And when they leave college, they're going to have experiences related to their work and their professions and their, and their civic lives. Uh, and all of those will help them become better writers over time. Interestingly, I don't, in 20 years, I don't feel like necessarily there has been a shift. I actually am excited about the fact I feel like a lot more high school teachers are doing what Hoel is doing in terms of a, a much more robust variety of writing with their students. And I, I'd have to thank you, Shelley. I, for me, I would just have to tip my hat to educators on my campus outside of my department. Also, when I walk the fine arts building, I see photographs by students on the walls and it's not all the same photograph when I go to watch a field hockey game. Each of those athletes is prepared and coached for a particular skill. They're leveled up. They're celebrated by one another for who they are. This individualization that happens in the fine arts, in athletics, I think that it was humbling for me to see how little of that I did. And in surprising ways, it took me back to what was possible within the traditional understanding of rhetoric that I had. I mean, Aristotle's definition of rhetoric, it's the power of discerning in a particular case the available means of persuasion. So it's, it's about discernment. Does this thing that I'm creating, does it need to be a letter to my high school principal? Does it need to be instead a speech that I give to a club on campus? Does it need to be a written thing that I co-research with a classmate that can be in our school newspaper? Any one of those modes is going to reveal loads of different authentic audiences. It's going to shine a light on loads of various voices. And I think, you know, back to your idea, Shelley, of some college freshmen with post-trauma of writing instruction before, you know, you don't get better at shooting free throws by shooting one free throw every three weeks for all the marbles. You know, you get better at shooting free throws by shooting free throws, low stakes, let's keep practicing, let's, you know, and I think in too many departments, there's reading discussion, reading discussion, annotate, there's this pattern where students are only writing every three weeks or so by the end of a unit, perhaps, rather than writing every day, low stakes writing every day to figure out 
what are some moves that I've got? What are some interests that I have? What is a thread that seems to be running through the course, not just through this unit? So I think part of removing students from any sort of trauma that they have around writing or for any, from moving them away from any sort of anxiety that they have about it is just creating more opportunities for low stakes experimentation. That photo that's on the wall in our fine arts building, there are probably 15 photos that that student took before they got to that one. That um, play that I see on the field hockey field, that represents, I don't know, maybe 2% of the time that athlete played field hockey this week. You know, that is, I think, a huge difference maker in freshman college readiness. Not what books did you read? How big were your classes? How often were you given the agency and opportunity? How often did teachers trust you to write? How often did teachers look through your work without grading you? There's a very different readerly lens when you're reading something to grade instead of reading it to see what does this student, what does this writer think? How are they persuading me? What are the ways that they're drag pulling me into this? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of bursting with thoughts as I listen to you talk because traditionally we have taught writing with a focus on forms and correctness and haven't allowed students this opportunity to develop fluency. And what I hear you emphasizing is quantity. And I think one of the big reasons that teachers haven't assigned more writing is they don't want to grade it. And you're saying, don't grade it. Don't grade it. Just give them a lot of opportunity for low stakes practice. And I would just say, you know, full disclosure, I teach at an independent school. My class load and uh, the, you know, the, the length of my roster is probably shorter than many people listening to me right now. Mm-hmm. And I would nonetheless encourage those, uh, those teachers to do what has really worked for people in our department on the first day. You know, I draw three concentric circles on the whiteboard. I say this outermost circle. Let that represent the amount of writing that you're going to do in this course. This next inner circle, let that represent the amount of your writing that I am going to read. I'm not going to read everything that you write. So there's a lot of freedom there. This innermost circle here, let this represent the amount of writing that I will read and grade. So if there's something out here in this outer circle that you want me to read and grade, please let me know. Make an appointment with me. Uh, and that's, again, that, that means that we've got relationships with our students. Most high school instructors that I know, they have students in their department for all four years. You don't have to grade everything every time. 
in your freshman class, what do I need to do? What are the skills that my students need for them to succeed at the beginning of sophomore year? Yeah. You know, offer feedback on those things alone. It means your feedback loop is quicker. It means that the students understand from the very beginning, this is a growth process. I'm in this apprenticeship for four years. I think those two practices have meant that even when I've got bigger classes or things outside of the classroom that are drawing upon my time, even in those moments, I'm able to meet students exactly where they are as writers and give them targeted challenges and targeted feedback quickly to get better at the kind of writer that they are. Well, and in terms of your sports analogy, all of that unread and then ungraded writing is like the practices, right? It's not the game. The game is the circle in the middle because that's what you're grading. And so that's where the score actually counts. Absolutely. You you can't get to the game without all the practice. But Christy, if you think about the practices, um, because you made that great comment about uh, one reason that a lot of instructors, and this is, I think, both at the high school and, I mean, let's be honest, all levels, a lot of instructors might be weary of assigning more writing, because we're sitting here saying more, and I I think we, we share that, yeah, is... Uh, yes, that in their minds, like, I don't want to have to grade it all. So for forgetting that you don't have to actually grade it, but the feedback is important, but the instructor is not the only one who has to give feedback. I mean, you think, let's go back to the sports analogy. A lot of those athletes are getting comments from the coach, getting comments from one another, um, comments at home when they're, you know, when they're doing from parents, all of that, that's not just the the main person who is giving them feedback that helped improve. And interestingly, I would even argue with, specifically with writing, it's more important that students get feedback from perspective. So they get that idea that um, the same piece of writing might be interpreted subtly different for different audiences. But two, we will not be there as instructors. And so again, you know, it, it's, part of what I would argue one of the best things we can do for students is to help them. Again, it's that idea of frameworks. What are frameworks for you to interrogate a situation to better meet the right needs of it? But then also what are frameworks for you to get others to help you improve your writing? Well, so let me ask this then, because I think there's some misunderstanding and misconception around this. First of all, a grade is not feedback. Because a grade is the end of the line. Once you've had the grade, there's nothing more you can do. And so let's, can you both um, talk a little bit about what you see as an effective feedback cycle that actually helps students improve their writing versus assessment? Oh, you've opened a can of worms. Feedback is attached to learning. And assessment is just giving this, this grade thing that, you know, fits in the bigger system that does, to be honest, different work, right? We know that there are also benchmarks that in theory, we want our students to meet for grades. But at the same time, 
there's something to be said about really, this is back to the whole, the whole point is low stakes. Could we just acknowledge that um, we need students to write a lot? And to do that means we need to take take the stress and the burden of the grade off of attachment to that writing. And then we can have real engaging conversations about the work of the writing. What is the, what does the writing do? How does it do it? And, you know, does the instructor and the student and other readers they invite to participate in that discussion, how does it do it well or not? And I don't know about you, but some of my best learning experience are epic fails. And the last thing I want is for someone to have a fascinating learning experience where they grow a lot as a learner, as a writer, as a person, and then, quote, unquote, fail the class. That makes no sense. I'm lucky. I am at a pre-K through 12 school. And so one thing that has really helped me sharpen my writing instruction lately is looking to see what my colleagues value in other divisions and in other departments. I was in a first grade classroom five or six years ago, and I, you can probably Google this. There was a poster on the wall that said, writing is easy as pie. There's a little picture of a pie with a slice. P-I-E. Persuade, inform, engage. And I came right back to my freshman later that day and said, listen, let's, these are three things that I want you to be able to do with your writing as we're moving forward. I was just in Mrs. Blank's class and she had this poster and there were students that remember, you know, it, I think one way that feedback can really take root is if the student is getting the sense that this is not just some sort of project that is like bespoke artisanal writing to satisfy Mr. Garza because he likes this particular thing in his essays, not that other thing. Like two years ago, walked over to my history colleagues and asked them, in your department, in your freshman course, what do you want them to, to be able to do in their writing? And they had an A, B, C, D, E, F protocol. I used that rubric, uh, you know, and it was, you know, the B was one of the skills was background information, context, uh, defend claims, evidence clearly embedded, you know, so that it was a set of skills that I recognized my students were walking into the room with. I could lean on that language. I could lean on those feedback protocols so they weren't having to pedagogically code switch hour after hour, instructor after instructor. I think if we talk across divisions and departments, you'll find that the writing skills we want from students, they're pretty common. There aren't that many of them. We want them to be able to acquire and apply the language specific to a discipline. 
outside of the classroom. We want them to be able to identify and analyze an issue in their lives, in their times, through the lens of that discipline. I really feel like the skills should drive the feedback. What do we want them to be able to do after they leave this campus? Well, do you feel like our standards, our current standards, and I know you're in Texas, are they a good representation and guide for what you're talking about? Perhaps they are. I am new to competency-based learning. I am relatively new to single-point rubrics. I am relatively new to a set of criteria where the levels are described in I can statements. I don't want anybody listening to think that I've been doing this for 29 years. This is a set of tools that I have acquired lately. Perhaps I'm late to these things. I can only tell you that I have arrived at them happily. I've deployed them with great success. And I think my students would say they know what they're doing and why within each writing challenge. I also was late to all of these transitions. And I think that's the beauty of being an educator who's also a lifelong learner, right? We're, we're always willing to learn more and to evolve our practice. But um, in, in my early years as an English teacher, I was taught and believed that I need to equip students with these forms. Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to send my seniors out of this school prepared for college and career, they have to have mastered the five paragraph essay. They have to know how to write a, a research paper and a resume and a letter. You know, th- they need to have mastered these forms and we're not teaching that way anymore. And so Shelly, I'm wondering what that looks like from your side of the fence. What would be your list? Um, in 2011, the National Council of Teachers of English, the Council of Writing Program Administrators, and the National Writing Project developed a framework for success in post-secondary writing. And it was supposed to be talking specifically about that bridge. And I, I love that document for two reasons. One, in the lower half of the document, it talks, it, it provides the list of similar to what the Council of Writing Program Administrators had developed as um, outcome statement your composition with a heavy emphasis on rhetorical situation uh, and and thinking. Quick note to listeners, you can find a link to that document in the episode notes. And and so I just want to quickly tie back to what, well, you know, what I heard, how I translated what he was just saying is that most of our colleagues want the people to be able to do this higher or, you know, critical thinking, to be able to communicate it clearly and to be able to communicate it in ways appropriate for that discourse community. So that's, I'm going to kind of smack onto that, right? Um, And so what I love about the framework for success is it's articulating one, a set, instead of a set of skills, a set of habits we want, 
openness, flexibility, metacognition. And that's exactly everything by asking students to do a lot of writing and asking students to do a lot of writing in a lot of different situations. That's what they generate. These, these habits of mind that make them much more flexible and able to comfortably move into a situation and even be, you know, playful with how they en- engage with it. I too, whole well, while in the past couple of years have come to uh, single point rubrics, tried to to de-emphasize quality, right? To try to de it's it's about observable and measurable and uh, ob- as objective as possible. If you like Shelley, Howell, and myself, are evolving in your writing instruction to move to a more expansive approach that emphasizes critical thinking and content over form and formulas, and you'd like some tools to help guide the way. Today's sponsor, College Ready Writing Essentials from Better Redder, is exactly what you need. This is Dr. William Bryant, creator of College Ready Writing Essentials. We're pleased to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. My company, Better Redder, believes that every student who wants a college education should have the opportunity to succeed no matter their income or background. College Ready Writing Essentials provides teachers with an online instructional resource that's research-based, easy to implement, and tightly focused on preparing their students for the challenges of college-level writing. Find Better Redder at edcuration.com. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com. I, I think, though, back to your question, Christy, um, coming in ex- excited about the possibilities of who they are as a writer and and open to the fact that writing, what constitutes writing and what constitutes good writing is, is as diverse as they and all of their classmates are. Um, and if... If they come with that, they are in, they are set, they're set up for success because they're in a, a space to be much more, um, adaptive. And that's, that's what good writers at the end of the day, that's what good writers are, right? Um, even, even if we look at genre, thought experiment with me here for a second. Think about your favorite genre, whatever it may be, Western science fiction. Usually your favorite ones, or at least for me, very delicately walk the line between meeting all the genre requirements, but doing this something extra that is a twist, right? So you the genre, but then you understand it so well that you can you can playfully do something different. Being able to do that requires being comfortable and flexible. Shelley, you know, mindful of a few things that you said the element of play, the element of comfort, the element of adaptation. Writing instructors need to build in time after the course has moved forward for a little while to ask the students, how do you want to play within this form? What's a thing that you hope you can get better at? What's a thing that you think you do pretty well right now? I know that some instructors are not in favor of a single point rubric because it doesn't distinguish a really good argument from 
a garden variety argument. It doesn't distinguish, according to these teachers, it doesn't distinguish between well-selected evidence and evidence to just check a box. Well, you know, then this is an opportunity to really develop a writing workshop model with your entire class. Okay, so last time there was a six-point rubric. I saw that every one of you were able to satisfy that criterion. I think you would satisfy that criterion whether or not I was evaluating for it. I'm hereby pulling that criterion, right? I think that I don't need to evaluate it anymore. Y'all are good enough to where that is now the floor. You will have that part. Uh, you will have that skill within whatever you produce. Let's talk about two criteria that we can add. As a class, what are some challenges that we are ready for? How can we play with this form? It's our skills that we're growing and nurturing and signal boosting and cheerleading. So I really appreciate, Shelly, what you were saying about comfort and adaptability and play. It definitely seems like no matter how responsible you feel in your department for a certain form, there is nonetheless room within that form for a student to say, all this stuff that you have us read, there's usually an image involved in it. Can we add an image to our essays? All this stuff that you have us read from The Atlantic or from New York Times Magazine or whatever, there's a pull quote. Can I use a pull quote to accent something in what I'm, you know, those are a couple of criteria that students have suggested to me. I would have never imagined requiring it had they not recognized out there in the world. That's what good writing looks like because you've assigned it to us, right? Now we know what good writing looks like and it involves imagery. It involves design. It devolves eye catching mind hooking rhetorical choices that are available to any 14-year-old with Word or Google Docs. It's, this is attainable mastery of specific writerly skills. At this point, Hoel had students streaming into his classroom and had to leave us to go inspire those kiddos and guide them in their writing. So Shelley and I waved goodbye and carried on. I remember reading the book, Writing Instruction That Works by Arthur Appleby and Judith Langer, who were researchers from Albany, the University of mm -hmm. Albany. So now it's almost 10 years ago, right? Because it was published in 2013. Um, that was the most recent comprehensive study of writing instruction and the state of secondary writing in the United States. I don't think there's been another one since that. So that's almost 10 years ago now. And their data was pretty dismal as far as what was happening in secondary writing instruction. Our writing instruction had narrowed to our assessments. So we were requiring just all, the, all these short answer replies because that was what prepared kids for the test. And we had really narrowed our writing instruction down to um, to accommodate standardized testing. 
And I think that since that study and since he wrote that book in 2013, there's been a big shift because just talking to you and Hoel, I mean, if you're any representation of what's happening, we're headed in a good direction. I'm wondering if the programs that we're using, the curriculum that we're using and the resources that are out there are evolving with these shifts that you and Hoel have talked about or are, are English teachers still in the position of having to create a lot of their own stuff and cobble together? Oh, Christy, I think you've, you've hit so many, so many variables. First would like to acknowledge that there's so many different experiences that can be going on. So I think one thing you're hearing today, at least is the distinction between someone at the secondary level who has a lot of autonomy as an instructor. I do want to acknowledge that we have lots of secondary colleagues who are are locked into some very stringent curriculums and uh, outcomes guidelines. If you look at the position statements that organizations like NCTE are making, there is a shift in, in what we know works for students to improve their writing and even what we know constitutes good writing because the problem is referring to writing as a single thing and what constitute good writings in different places. Good writing instruction includes providing, in the same way that I said, experience of different types of writing. It's not only experience of doing those different types of writing, it's experience of reading those different types of writing, mm-hmm. consuming them, analyzing them, talking with others about them. Yeah. And so if you have, <laughs> if you have, um, you know, parents or local or higher level um, administrators or government official thing, what can and cannot happen that sometimes makes makes it difficult for those instructors to do what they may know is better for the students. And I just want to acknowledge that that's a real constraint for some of our colleagues across the nation. In your experience at NCTE and just you know, your history as a, as a writing teacher, is there any communication or coordination between secondary English teachers and, and college level writing teachers? I'm going to say, I think there should always be more. Um, But I think, I mean, just always, Uh, but one, um, one pathway is through organizations like NCTE or, you know, um, or regional. So for example, um, NCTE has an Arizona regional and I have gone to that every year and I was, I'm usually one of the few college folks who are there, but I, I love going because I get to hear what my colleagues at the secondary level are doing and thinking. And Mm. so definitely in, in professional growth arena, but it, it, it takes, it takes some building for those, right. To, to create events that both groups are welcome and dialoguing. I've heard in, in, while, you know, attending NCTE and stuff like that, I, I hear of other places that they have much more robust line of communication. I know that the increase in dual enrollment programs has helped increase some of the dialogue oh, yeah. on levels, right? You know, because it gets literally whatever college that is um, granting the credit and it, at minimum, hopefully getting them dialoguing with one another. I'm just wondering, do you have any favorite success stories? 
what's making you feel hopeful and keeping you going in terms of teaching writing? One of my favorite success stories is I had a student who took a class from me when I was at the community college, took an online class. And so that meant I never didn't face to face, but I, I have always done meetings with my students. And so during that term, I spoke with him on the phone more than once. And seven, eight years later, I received an email and he was in not, not only in grad school, but in a doctoral program. And I got, and just sent this message that was just this basically, thank you. Thank you for giving me a framework to think about writing to thing I kind of said to think about writing and to approach writing and to help me be a better writer and in the new writing situations, carry that around in the back pocket and pull it out on days that are hard. Yeah. But why it gives me hope is that because the ideal is we don't want the students dependent on us in the long run, right? We want to make them independent it's not the, the, the outlines or the specific syntactical or mechanical rules. More importantly, we've given them a large framework of bringing out what is needed here. Who can help me do, who can help me give, you know, get the resources together to meet this situation? Who might I get help from to give me feedback? And I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know that that, that worked thinking about frameworks and one of the things that I, that was a a light bulb for me in my teaching career and teaching um, adolescent writers was this idea of models, which you kind of Mm -hmm. do is, is that we, we thought of providing models as being like, here's a finished polished essay. So this is a model of what we're going for. A kid has no idea how to get to that. It's like Neverland, right? right? Like, I don't, I don't know how to get to that. What are all the pieces in between that? So it's the writing process that we didn't Mm -hmm. know how to model correctly, including the struggle and the crossing out and the pasting and cutting. And like, it's the process. And the analyzing of the model to break it. Right, right. History. It's like, yeah, that's great. You just pulled that like a rabbit out of a hat. I have no idea where that came from or what kind of mysterious magic creates that. You know, I I have no bridge to that. So it's those those pieces of of struggle. Um, and and Hoel referred to those those areas of freedom that are opened up now Mm -hmm. of just experimentation and exploring and finding your own meandering way to whatever that end product ends up looking like, rather than us holding up this shining star of a perfectly structured essay and saying, this is what, this is what I want you to do. Christy, one of the shifts that I've seen in the past 10 years that I adore is um, an emphasis on, on teaching genre with which has had us at least in that moment, instead of holding up the example we're holding up five examples. Here are five that are in this genre. Look at all of them. Let's yeah. see what they do differently. Let's see what they do the same, right? And and even just that shift makes a big difference, right? It leaves it leaves those gaps for both both students and instructors to play. It leaves the space for 
um, yes, you can all produce an essay, even an essay on the same topic, but look, it, there's still differences. There's still, there's still different ways to manage this. Yeah, and, and that piece that you mentioned of analyzing the model, not just providing the model, but analyzing yes. the model. What was it that the author did? Like one little piece, how could you yeah. emulate that one little thing in your writing rather than trying to tackle right. this, this huge, massive mountain of writing? And it's so much more fun. You know, right. that element of playfulness right. to it and experimentation. It doesn't feel like a right and wrong answer, which there isn't. Writing is not math. Exactly. Well, and I guess his math isn't even math. You'll find links to Shelley, Hoel, the NCTE, and all resources mentioned in the episode notes. You'll also find a link to today's sponsor, College Ready Writing Essentials from Better Writer. Clarissa Vickery, English 4 teacher with the Elbert School District in Colorado, said, College-ready writing essentials focuses on substance and understanding, not just a final writing project. This is the kind of college preparation students need most. In college, students learn to develop a broader perspective and see the big picture. I think college-ready writing essentials is a great stepping stone to that. Visit Better Writers Microlearning Opportunity preparing students for college-ready writing success on Ed Curation's exploration page. To learn more about college-ready writing and Better Writers resources for high school classrooms on Canvas, this professional learning opportunity, along with all of our educator explorations, is free to educators and includes downloadable resources and a continuing education certificate. Check out all of our explorations, our blog, upcoming webinars, and all of our podcast episodes at edcuration.com. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and tune in again next week for another episode of Reshaping Learning with the Ed Curation Podcast. Podcast.